I'm trusting God for a very quick word this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 9. As the cardboard was singing, I could not but capture the essence of the one word they left on the song sheet that says believe. And they actually use the scripture, the same exact scripture I'm preaching from this morning. When God begins to do these things, watch out. When all aspects of the service is coming together, it's because God wants to do something. On that note, let me also say this to us. As they were ministering to us, there was a particular time they said, move, walk fine. Yes. And we did not move. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So a couple of people moved. But I'm bringing this to your attention. Because God's deliverance does not have to be contingent on what I'm doing now. If the Holy Ghost was leading them and guiding them in what they were doing and how they were ministering, then we should not miss up any part of the ministration. For those that obeyed that instruction, some of you have your deliverance already. But many more will have had it if you had obeyed. Because in that minute when God said that, there was power within what he said to accomplish what he wanted to do. Please, let's pay attention to those things for the future. Mark chapter 9. Verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So, I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Now, amazing to me, why would this man bring this boy to the disciples? Obviously, he knew, and we're going to read this in a moment, at some point in the disciples' lives and ministries, this was not a problem. I mean, he would not have brought the boy to the disciples if he did not anticipate or expect that the disciples would be able to answer the problem. So keep that in mind as we read on. Okay? Verse 19, he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So now, Jesus' response confirms the man's expectation. Jesus did not say, oh, I'm sorry, you should not have gone to them. They are not really equipped or ready to do so. Rather, Jesus rebuked his disciples and said, oh, faithless generation. Man, how long? How much longer? How much more teaching or seminar do you need to cast out a demon, to heal the sick, to make foolproof of who Jesus is? Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately 
the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happened to him? And he said, from childhood. Now that is very informing. It is very informing that Jesus asked a very pointed, direct question. How long has been this been happening to this boy? And the father answered, from childhood. Now, so the, so, so the next logical question, it's, we don't see it in the scriptures here, is how did the child get it? We may address that in a minute. So let's read on. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing things out so you can, I'm throwing red meat to you so you can begin to chew. Verse 22. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if he can do anything, Jesus, if, 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 if you can do anything, and there are some of you here this morning, this is where you are. You are saying, God, 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 is there any healing from Gilead? Is there any balm in Gilead? Is there any solution to my problem? Is there any healing from my ailment? Is there any answer? Is there anything from heaven for my situation? If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, notice, notice, notice. The father did not say, have compassion on him. Now, when, when you're reading scriptures, it's, it's really important you pay attention to all these things because it's very instructive. Have compassion on us and help us. How many people needed healing? One. But how many people needed help? Us. Because the truth of the matter is, the condition of the boy, remember, the condition was not from birth, but from childhood. So something that was on the father has come upon the son. This is still under the law. Remember that. So something that was on the father has come over the child. And we are seeing a manifestation. Let's read on. Okay. So Jesus found out. He said, verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can believe that song, that dance, he turned it from the cupboard ministry just now, had that one, there, one word there, believe. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now you see why the father said us. Because if the father had what it took, he wouldn't need the disciples of Jesus. 
Because Jesus already said to us, if you believe, all things are possible to them or whoever believes. But this father's answer is one that's perplexed many of us for a long time. What kind of answer is that? What kind of response is that? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. So what is he saying? What is he saying? Now, before I move forward, let me just go back to another passage in the scriptures where this story was also recorded. In the book of Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We'll be done very, very, very good time today. Oh, and by the way, I just want to add my little two cents to that movie, War, War Room. You need to go watch it. Very, 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 very powerful, poignant, relevant. 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 Every problem is a prayer problem. And when you understand the role and the key of prayer and praying, it makes all the difference. All the difference. So I want to encourage you, and I know the women are going. I mean, men, sneak up on them. Don't let, don't let them leave you at home. Go watch it with them. Amen. <laughs> so if somebody's got a babysit. I hear you. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Verse 6. You know, okay, verse 1. Verse 1. Luke 9, verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Hello? He gave them power and authority over all demons. And to cure what? Diseases. He gave them the authority. Do you have authority today? Verse 6. Luke chapter 9 verse 6. So, they departed and went through the towns. Preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So, these are not novices. He gave them the power and the authority over demons and to cure diseases. And we see that they went out and used the power and the authority and they healed everywhere. So imagine this. You have a productive, effective healing ministry. You've gone from town to town, from city to city, from nation to nation, casting out devils, healing diseases. And then one day, the father brings a young boy. Say, my boy needs help. And you prayed, and nothing happened. What, what, how would, what would be your response? How would you feel? Number one, you can say, you know what? God is not healing anymore. We have some people that say that today, that God is no longer in the healing business. We don't believe that. We believe that God heals. He's still healing and will continue to heal. Amen. His name is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord Amen. God that healeth. Amen. Then you can say, well, you know what? God will heal him, but not today. He will heal him by the time he gets to heaven. 
Then you can say, oh, well, I've prayed in faith. He's healed. But the boy is still in pain. He's convulsing. He's foaming in the mouth. Or, last of all, you can just be simply puzzled. Because I did it yesterday, it worked. I did it last week, it worked. Now, it's not happening. What is going on? That's exactly where the disciples were. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17. A different take on the same story. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, verse, verse 16. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not kill him. Then Jesus said, answered and said to them, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I be up with you? Bring him here to me. Okay? Verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? What was the problem? And Jesus answered it in verse 20. So Jesus said to them, because of your own belief, for as shortly I said to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind, what kind? This kind, this kind of unbelief does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That's the reason we are praying and fasting. This kind, now, 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 Jesus put a slant. He put something on this unbelief now. Because now, by saying what he said, immediately now we know there are many kinds of unbelief. There are many kinds of unbelief. This kind, the kind that's stubborn, that will not move, that will not allow you to get results. This kind can only be addressed through prayer and fasting. And that is why we are locking into prayer and fasting because I want to see this kind totally eliminated in the lives of everyone in the name of Jesus. Now, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? I need this story. (laughs) Hear me, hear me, hear me now. I'm about to make a statement. The issue, the issue was not lack of faith. Okay, I'm going to let that fly for a minute. Because if the issue, first of all, I'll prove to you adequately from the scriptures, the problem was not faith. You and I have assumed for a long time that when faith is present, unbelief cannot be present. Nothing can be further from the truth. Let's go to the master's words himself. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 verse 20. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered to them, 
Assuredly, I say to you, watch this. If you have faith and do not doubt, same breath, same sentence. If you have faith, so it's not denying that you have faith, but it's also introducing another element. If you have faith and do not doubt, then you can tell this tree to die, as I just said, it, it will obey you. But not only that, you can tell the mountain to move on and go somewhere else, it will obey you. So the issue, the issue is not just the issue of faith or not having faith. And I'm telling you about with the authority of the word of God right now, everyone under the sound of my voice, watching on the video through streaming, CD, whatever means you are getting this message. If you are born again, you have faith. You didn't get it. You said amen, but I'm not sure you know what you're saying amen to. I'm saying to you, with authority, backed up by scriptures, which I'm about to show you, that if you are born again by the Spirit of God, you do not have a choice. Part of what you received at your salvation was according to Romans 12 verse 3 the measure of faith. Let's read it. Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 verse 3 for I say how do I say it? Through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you. Who is everyone? To how many people? To how many people? What is everyone? Thank you very much. To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. How? Why? What? As God has dealt so each one a measure of faith. So do you have it or not? In the mouth of two or three scriptures, let every word be confirmed. I'll just give you one. We need two more at least. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control against which there is no law. Oh my God, write that down. Write that down. Against this, there is no law. There is nothing you can do to eliminate it. There is no law. You got it, you got it, you got it. There is no law. But listen what, what listen to what Paul says. He said, the fruit of what? Spirit. It is not my fruit, it is the fruit of the spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ in the inside of you is who is produced it to be used by you. That's why Paul in the KJV translation, Galatians 2:20, third scripture. 
am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live, how do I live it? I live by the faith of who? Of the Son of God. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. KJV. To your seat. Thank you very much, sir. KJV. Huge. Big difference. I live by the faith. Of. I live by the faith. Of. The Son of God. I live by the faith. Of. So the faith. Oh my God. There are three different kinds of faith. There is the saving faith. The faith that I used to become born again. I don't want to address that because I will confuse you if I don't have one hour to explain it. But let me just tell you that that faith did not come from God, it came from you. Your saving grace. That, 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 your, I'm saying, your saving faith. That faith that made you acknowledge and say, I want to be born again. But from that instant, when you became a member of the body of Christ, from that moment, there's a spirit of God that came in you and when that spirit came with you, he brought his goods along with him. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Make, did I mention meekness? Meekness and temperance against which there's no law. Yes. So the faith of the Son of God is in you. Which means, and that's your living faith. So you have the saving faith. I got born again. I have the living faith, the faith to live on a day-to-day basis. The faith to be able to trust Jesus. The faith to be able to live the overcoming life. The faith to live the life of God. In other words, what Jesus lived on the earth is in you. And then you have great faith. Or rather, that gift of faith. I'm sorry. That gift of faith. That gift of faith is what we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In the gifts of the Spirit. With that gift of faith, you don't have to be a good boy or a good woman. It doesn't matter. Gift of faith means God wants to do something super ordinary that does not really involve you, but he wants to use you to do it. You may be, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to use this illustration, you may be in your worst behavior and the gift of faith still operates. It has nothing to do with you. You're just a vessel. That's why we see men and women who do mighty exploits and their life are wrecks. The gift of faith is in operation. The living faith, however, expresses your union with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus. And this is, the, this is where we are on a day-to-day basis. Jesus said if you have faith as the seed of mustard, as the mustard seed. In other words, mustard of all the seeds is the littlest, smallest seed ever. He said if you have just that tiny faith, you have enough. As small as the mustard seed is enough to move mountains. You don't need anything more than that. While you're here on the earth, you may never need any more faith than that. That's why when the disciples ask him to increase our faith, he ignored them totally. Read it in your scriptures. 
They say, increase our faith. He said, you guys, you don't know what you're talking about. If you know what you're carrying, you won't be asking that question. He did not address it. So if we have faith, and we do, and you can understand now why that mind, the father said, Lord, I believe. First of all, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, no man can call Jesus Christ Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Oh, my goodness. Are you guys reading your Bibles? So when the man said Lord, it implies that the man had already some revelation about who Jesus was. You cannot speak that word and call him Lord according to Paul except by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I believe. You have to think about it. If you did not believe, why did they bring the boy? If you did not believe, why did they bring the boy? But this is the problem. Many of us believe like the father. We believe. We have the faith of God working in us. But what undermines and short circuits the manifestation of what we are asking for is that doubt that exists apart from the living faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. In other words, Jesus, I know you are in me. I agree. I'm living in faith. But you know what? The present reality of my condition is so overwhelming that uh, I know you're a great God. You're Jehovah Rapha. I read that in the book. But in this matter, all I'm seeing and hearing is the extra reports from the doctors, the MRRs, and all the reports they are giving me. Three kinds of unbelief. Three kinds. Number one, the unbelief that comes as a result of ignorance. I just don't know that God can do it. Or I just don't know that God is interested in my situation. Ignoramis. There is no virtue in ignorance. People are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They are ignorant of what God is able to do. That's number one unbelief. Number two, the unbelief that says, um, so number one is the fact that I, I have, I'm ignorant. Number two, unbelief is bad theology. God stopped healing after the last apostles. Bad theology. Now, those two unbeliefs, those two unbeliefs, the, the, the two I just mentioned, the one that's because of, because of ignorance, and the one because of bad theology, those are the two simplest unbeliefs to overcome. Very simple. You don't need fasting to overcome those. Those are readily overcome through reading the word and receiving the revelation of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Easy. Bam. Bam. You overcome those two. The third one. The third. The third kind of unbelief is the unbelief that comes from natural reason and causes. 
Did you hear what I just said? The kind of unbelief that comes as a result of natural causes or natural reasonings. I'll give you a good example. Let's go to um, John chapter 5. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verse 2, now there is in Jerusalem by the ship gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In this lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the sin of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no mind to put me into the pool. When what I stirred, when what I stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Verse 8. Notice, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, amazing. First of all, when you read this story, this passage, the story of an angel going to stir the water up and thereafter, whoever gets in there first, gets healed, is a legend. In other words, it is not an inspired true account. There's nowhere in scripture where you see angels do what we just read. In fact, many manuscripts totally Omit all of that. I'm going somewhere with that. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. The point here is, for 38 years, this man's lifetime, he has believed a lie. And a lie that he believed has conditioned his behavior. Why are we not healed? Why are we not seeing the manifestation of God in our lives? Why is it that to some of us, poverty has become a friend instead of being an enemy? Why is it that shortage is the DNA and a default for many of us? We never think surplus. We never think of abundance. We never think of exceedingly abundantly. We are always thinking of not enough, not full. Uh, maybe some. What's the problem? This man for 38 years has been told an angel will come. Stop the water. And the first person that gets in gets healed. But he's saying to himself, I can move. See, for me, this is, this, this is no brainer. I'm dead on arrival. Because I can't get away from where I am. Therefore, from, even if that was true, it can never happen. And he's packed his expectation in neutral. Because of something that was said that he has bought into. Church, Jesus the healer, Jehovah Rapha, was in front of him. Asking him, do you want to be well? And he recalled the old lie that he's been told for 38 years. He's preaching to Jesus the healer. 
and try to convince Jesus why he should remain in that condition. And many of us are here right now. That's where you are. In spite of what God has said, in spite of God's anointing, in spite of his word, you are so convinced that your old natural position that you've bought into because of your parents, your friends, your, your society, wherever you grew up, you have bought into this element that says you are limited. And no matter what God is saying to you, you park at the station of limitation. Natural causes. Jesus is saying to him, do, my friend, do you want to be made well? Ah, Jesus. <laughs> I know you're a healer, but you don't know my case. Let me intimate you with my condition. I, I, I know they say you are the word. In the beginning was the word. What was the God? And the, yeah, I know that, but you don't. This is my own situation. I've never read it. As long as you are believing that. You see, you see, nothing will change unless something changes. Nothing. You can read, pray, you can buy magazines, you can do all the things, you can have Kenny Copeland preach for you, Apostle Paul serve you lunch, Jesus give you drink. It doesn't matter. Unless something changes, nothing will change. You will packed at limitation. We see you limited 2011, limited 2012, limited 2013, limited 2014, limited 2015. Ah, New Year's Eve, resolution, hey, 2016, my year of breakthrough, you still be limited. Something must change if anything will ever change. Natural causes. For this man, his problem was the natural. He had heard a story, believed the story, and the story he believed shaped his behavior. And even though Jesus was standing right there in front of him, it didn't mean much for him. But thank God. Say 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 thank God. Hallelujah. You see, because Jesus knows. He knows the frame in which we are made. He understands the limitation that we have put ourselves in. And therefore, sometimes, in spite of our limitations, he does what he wants to do. Because by every description, what this man said to Jesus should have disqualified him from healing. Will not be made whole. To story. Story. Jesus didn't pay him attention. Carry your bed and walk. You storyteller. Carry your bed and walk. Why could Jesus do that? Let me show you a scripture that should set you free. In 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. So number one, when you have confidence that the faith of the Son of God is working in me, with that confidence, you pray, you expect God to move, and you receive the answer. No question about that. No argument, no controversy, no question. But there are some of us. We don't quite have that confidence. Not because we are satanic or because we don't love God or God does not love us. We acknowledge that God loves us. Yes. And yes, I'm born again. This faith of the Son of God is living in me. 
However, sometimes due to ignorance, bad theology, I've sat in the wrong place for 29 years. I don't know any better. I want to believe God, but that doubt and unbelief creeps up and shows up and therefore condemns me. What did God do? Look at verse 20, same passage. 1 John chapter 3. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Oh, bank. I know you, I love you, bank. And bank, you are responding in my love. However, every now and then, your confidence is short-circuited. Doubt and unbelief creeps up that undermines the integrity of your faith. But because I know you, bank, I know that you love me and I know you really, really, really believe me. Therefore, I override the issue of confidence because God is greater than my heart. Hallelujah! He compensates for what I lack. That's what I love about grace. The law places a demand on me. I must show up all of the time, having all my ducks in the row. But grace says, ah, I know the frame with which he has been made. I know he has shortcomings. He's not altogether perfect. That's why Jesus is the perfect sacrifice of the God of heaven. And so God says, I compensate for what you lack. If your heart condemns you, me, God, I'm bigger than your heart. Hallelujah! And so when the man says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, he was not rebuked. God simply did what he does best. You've confessed that, yes, you have unbelief. You confess that. That's good. That's good enough for me. You are not pretending like my, many people. You are not coming to church look like you have it all together. You are not pretending. You are not speaking Christian, Christianese. Ah, yeah. All is well. I'm highly favored. Hey, bless God. No. You spoke the truth. I believe but God. Every now and then, I have unbelief. Help my unbelief. Yes. He's here to help your unbelief. Hallelujah. The unbelief it does not help is one you don't acknowledge. When you are like the self-righteous Pharisee and you don't acknowledge it, it doesn't help it. But when you acknowledge it, it compensates for it. It's amazing when I saw that in the scripture. I said, wow, this is, this is incredible. We saw it in John chapter 5. We saw it in Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Man openly, clearly said, I believe, help my unbelief. You did not hear Jesus condemn him. Neither did he even rebuke him. He rebuked the disciples because they did not confess it. They did not acknowledge or own the fact that they were doubting. As long as you don't acknowledge it, you are, going to, you are packed at the station of limitation. Because you are saying you don't need help. Did you understand this? Unbelief is deadly. Deadly. You should not like it. You should not entertain it. You should not receive it. You should not do nothing with unbelief. Don't ever allow unbelief to become your friend. It's your enemy. It's your enemy. That's the only thing that's stopping the people of God. Now, 
Just in closing, why did these disciples, who had done so well, healing everywhere, all of a sudden saw a little boy and it was stopped? Why? What got them unstuck? Simple. They were looking at the natural circumstances. The boy was manifesting in their presence. And they were overwhelmed and overtaken by what he was seeing. And could not key into what was in them. So, you get a notice, your house is in repossession. God, he said, I'll provide for your needs. You know what God says. But you walk back to your nightstand and you look at that letter of repossession. Hey! They come in three days. Now, which one would you believe? Because the letter is there. You see it. I'm telling you, if we key into God and become like those three Hebrew boys and become like Esther and declare to heaven and earth, if I perish, let me perish. But I rather perish in the hands of God than give the devil any credit for anything that happens to me. Oh, I'm believing God to raise up some people in this congregation that will look at the devil eyeball to eyeball and let the devil know where to go. Why? Because you are grounded and you've believed on the unerring, infallible, unchangeable word of the living God. Unbelief. So if you need a title for this message, help my unbelief. Let's that's rough it. Done. Wow. She's got so much word in her. Mm. 